Coming to you live from the Republic of Texas and broadcasting around the world, this is the Max McGuire Show. This is our last chance to take this country back. That's true. Listen, it doesn't matter that Joe Biden is losing his mind. He still betrayed this country. Come on, man. So get ready, because the Max McGuire Show starts right now. Welcome back. Happy Friday. It's the Max McGuire Show. Hope everyone had a great week. Hope everyone has great plans for the weekend. Feel free to put them in the comment section in the Rumble Rant so I can live vicariously through your much more interesting lives. So today we're going to be talking about this WHO treaty that is going to be amended in the coming, I think, week and a half, two weeks. The fact checkers are out in force trying to say that this is nothing to worry about. Um, Of course, conservative outlets, conservative commentators are talking about this as being a way for Biden to cede, surrender sovereignty to an international body like the WHO, which again is connected to the UN. Going to talk about it, going to do a deep dive into it, going to explain what it will do, what it won't do, talk about what the fact checkers are saying, and then actually look at other treaties that Biden and Obama have signed without uh, Senate approval and how they have ended up enacting it without it actually being a treaty. So hit that share button if you haven't already, hit that rumble, that thumbs up, that plus sign on rumble, and let's get into this. So first, before we can get into this, I have to explain what the Constitution says about treaties. So Article 2, Section 2 of the United States Constitution lays out what's called the Treaty Clause. And I'll read it here. It says, quote, the pres- he, the president, shall have power by and with advice and consent of the Senate to make treaties, provided two-thirds of the senators present concur. So that is important because this sets the the requirements, the rules for how treaties can be adopted, how treaty language can be imposed on the American people. And this is important. The founders knew that this had to be in the Constitution because without this language, they knew that the president could just bypass Congress. Well, if Congress doesn't want to pass legislation, the president can then simply sign a treaty with another country and impose similar language on the American people, right? So Congress didn't require it, but an agreement with a foreign nation would. So this treaty clause in Article 2, Section 2 of the Constitution lays out that in order for it to be binding, in order for it to be um, an actual, real, legitimate treaty that can be imposed on the American people, it has to be done with advice and consent of the Senate, and and it has to have two-thirds of the senators present approval. It's a supermajority, a supermajority support in the Senate for treaties. Next thing we got to know is what is sovereignty? This is from... I believe the uh, the Yale Law, Law Library, one of the law libraries, maybe Cornell. Um, this is the definition of sovereignty. Sovereignty is a political concept that refers to dominant power, supreme authority. In monarchy, supreme power resides in the sovereign or the king. In modern democracies, sovereign power rests with the people, us, and is exercised through representative bodies such as Congress or Parliament. The sovereign is the one who exercises power without limitation. Sovereignty is essentially the power to make laws, even as Blackstone defined it. The term also carries implications of autonomy. To have sovereign power is to be beyond the power of others to interfere. That's important. When you have sovereignty, you have control over your own affairs. So the United States, we have sovereignty at our border, right? We're supposedly have sovereignty at the border, meaning that we are the ones who get to decide who comes in and out. In a little bit, I'll talk about other UN 
agreements that have sought to impose and chip away at our sovereignty to force us to admit people that we don't want to. That's the name of the game. Every treaty, every international agreement, every international accord in some way, shape, or form chips away at our sovereignty because it gives other nations authority, power over our internal affairs. Even if it isn't binding, even if it isn't, um, if it doesn't have significant teeth, meaning it's not enforceable, treaties, international agreements, accords, nonetheless do impose themselves on our sovereignty. True sovereignty is the ability to do what we want. No one can interfere. As we'll talk in a bit, this treaty, they're amending a treaty, but the amended treaty that's going to go down at the WHO would absolutely infringe, impede, and violate our sovereignty. So this is an article that was in the Desert Review. And I'm going to read it. Then I'm going to play a couple of clips from, uh, actually, let's start with the clips. This is, uh, this is Michelle Bachman on War Room explaining the treaty. The, the gist of it. Let's play cut one. Uh, Congressman Bachman, Dean Bachman, you were the first one to kind of bring this to our attention. You were in the war room last week. Walk us through, what, what, because people are just getting their hands around it right now. We're going to have Frank Gaffney on, Dr. Naomi Wolf. What exactly is going on in Geneva at the World Health Organization? And how do we get so far down the road of it looks like signing something that's going to expand the sovereignty, the ability of the World Health Organization in Geneva, controlled by the Chinese Communist Party, to affect the sovereignty of the United States of America? That's right. It's hard to believe, Steve, but in less than two weeks' time, a vote will take place in Geneva, Switzerland, at the World Health Assembly. They're important because they're the governing body of the World Health Organization, WHO. This authority that they would be given would impact 99.4% of all the people in the world. There are 193 nations belonging to the UN. The Biden administration is bringing amendments that would propose that all nations of the earth cede their sovereignty over national health care decisions to the WHO, the World Health Organization. So what this would mean, Steve, is that the WHO would have decision-making authority to intervene into the United States government policy in any nation of the world without our permission. So, for instance, the lockdowns where you see 26 million people today locked down in Shanghai, China, they can't leave their apartments or homes, the WHO would have the authority to be able to impose that here in the United States for whatever pretext they want. They don't have to show data. They could do this. What this does, Steve, bottom line, is it creates a platform for global governance, global governance through the WHO. This is what people need. So the gist of it is this is a amendments to the, the fundamental treaty behind the WHO, giving the WHO more powers, more authority, more teeth in the treaty to respond to what they see as pandemics. So a lot of what Michelle Bachman was saying there is correct. The other thing is, is a lot of guesswork because we don't know because obviously this hasn't been voted on yet. And there are hundreds of hundreds and hundreds of amendments that have been proposed. We do not know which amendments will get in, which amendments will not. But the vehicle itself would give the WHO, the World Health Organization, the power to interfere and impede on sovereign nations when they determine that there is a public health emergency there. They say it's to stop a global pandemic. It would be nice if we didn't already know that the WHO was in China's pocket. 
So this is the part that there was on this article. It's in the Desert Review. You can find it if you search online. It says, on January 18, 2022, officials from the Biden administration quietly sent the WHO extensive amendments without an official statement or a single press conference. These proposed amendments are written to strengthen the organization's ability to unilaterally intervene into the affairs of nations, merely suspected of having a, quote, health emergency, end quote, of possible concern to other nations. If these amendments are approved, the WHO will have the power to declare an international health emergency, nullifying the powers of nation states. U.S. amendments delete a critical existing restriction in the regulations, quote, WHO shall consult with and attempt to obtain verification from state party from the state party in whose territory the event is allegedly occurring. This enables the director general to declare health emergencies at will and can be used to justify ostracism and economic or financial actions against targeted the targeted nation by other nations aligned with the WHO and who wish to harm and control the accused nation. So that is all true. That is all true. The way that this treaty would work, as it's written now, again, there are plenty of amendments that could give them more powers. As the treaty is written now, if there is a health emergency in a country, the WHO can declare it an international health emergency, whatever the yeah, international um, health emergency, and then request permission to enter the country. If the, U if the WHO is refused... Then under the terms of this new, these new amendments to the treaty, the WHO would be able to rally other countries to put financial sanctions on the country that refused to allow them in. So when you see, as we'll cover in a second, the fact checkers who claim that this isn't, has nothing to do with American sovereignty, there's no teeth, it's just they would just rec request it. The truth is, if they want to come in, they will either come in or if you block them, they will take the might of the international community against you through economic and financial sanctions. Let's play another clip. This is uh, from Jack Posobiec breaking it down on his podcast. Let's play cut two. You've got so many people talking about it. They are going to come in and tell you, not ask you, but tell you when your pandemic starts. What does that mean? Does that mean, and, and people obviously have a lot of questions about this. What's going on? For countries that don't abide by obligations set out in the pandemic treaty, Dr. Tedros has suggested that the WHO may need the authority to direct other countries to sanction non-compliant countries that don't want to impose restrictions. They could dictate how our doctors can respond, which drugs can and can't be used, or which vaccines are approved. We would end up with a one-size-fits-all approach for the entire world in a pandemic. A one-size-fits-all response to a health crisis does not work across a single country and certainly not across the entire globe. This has been the issue of this thing. And there's, you know, there, you can dig even deeper into it, but what it comes down to is lockdowns, border crossings, vaccine mandates, all of this could potentially be controlled under the international health regulations, under an international treaty, not up to the countries themselves. It's also one thing he leaves out there talking about free speech, because remember, all of these big tech platforms, when they were silencing people like me, people like you for talking about the pandemic on social media, they were using the WHO as an excuse to do it, saying, hey, we're not silencing you. We're just saying that people can only talk about things that the WHO agrees with. Well, if the WHO declares an international health emergency, that would have a chilling effect on free speech because all of these big tech platforms would use that as an excuse to crack down on your basic freedoms. So let's dive into this a little bit because it's, it's, 
it's interesting in how they're playing to do it. It's also interesting in how what they're not saying. So as I said, if the WHO was to declare a international health emergency, they would do their best to ask permission to enter, leaving the door open for them to enter on their own accord. But if you if the country refused to let them in, as I said, they could rally other countries to have financial sanctions. So if the WHO says, hey, there's a pandemic, you need to lock down the country. The United States says, no, we're not going to lock down. Every other country would then have the mechanism to levy sanctions against us, financial sanctions, cripple our economy until we agree to do what the WHO is demanding. That's important. The other step in this that no one's talking about is since this would be a depends on how they do it. If they amend the treaty, technically, it would need to go through the United States Senate for uh, for reapproval. Right. In order for a treaty to be binding, you need a supermajority, two thirds in the Senate to agree to it. That also stands for amendments to the treaty. I doubt they're going to do that, though. And if Obama's actions are any indication, Biden will do that. This will most likely be some kind of accord, international agreement, changes to it that wouldn't be binding on the United States, but would give Democrat administrations like Biden the power to impose these requirements through executive action, through executive order. Example, if the UN, if the WHO says, hey, if there's international health emergency, we are going to request access to your country. What Biden can then do is amend regulations within the federal government to automatically grant entry into the country whenever the WHO declares an international health emergency. See how that works? So it wouldn't be up to the United States to decide whether it's legitimate or not. It would just give them blanket authority to enter. That's how the Democrats play this game. The Democrats, are for the past 10 years plus, have been using international agreements, international treaties as an end around around Congress. And I want to talk about a few of those examples for a couple of minutes. Obama signed the United Nations Arms Trade Treaty. This was a gun control, more like proliferation of, of weapons, tanks, aircraft. But there was a provision in this treaty that called for uh, the non-proliferation of small arms. Well, gun owners in the United States rightly were up in arms over this, saying, hey, you can't sign this treaty. You don't have congressional approval to cede our Second Amendment rights to the United Nations. But Obama signed it anyway. He signed it anyway because it wasn't technically drafted as a treaty. He didn't sign it as a treaty that needed to, be go needed to be put through Congress for ratification. He just said, hey, we will support this any way we can. And sure enough, when it, after he signed this, there, were, there was movement within the federal government to try and bring our import-export regulations in line with these new rules. Right. So even though it didn't go through Congress, Obama signed it and started implementing provisions within this treaty within the federal government. There's also the other side of this. If you're looking at an international treaty that deals with import and export of weapons, it doesn't necessarily matter what the United States does, because if every other country adopts it, well, it's harder for us to import it because it has to be exported from somewhere. And sure enough, after this treaty was signed, it, it became a little bit harder to source certain kinds of weapons, certain kinds of parts kits, certain classes of ammunition, it became harder to import them into the country, not because of what the United States was doing, but because of what other countries, the exporters in that arrangement, were doing in response to this treaty. So this is one way that Obama was able to enforce gun control, at least slip a little bit of gun control onto the American people without having to rely on Congress to ratify it. So yeah, it's, it's, it's very sneaky the way they do it. Here's another one. When Obama formally entered the Paris Agreement, the United Nations Climate Treaty, there were talks in uh, the UN 
very early on. And they were very, they knew right from the beginning that they could not make this a literal treaty that would have to go through the United States Congress, the Senate, for approval because they knew they would never get it. So even though this is colloquially known as the UN Climate Treaty, it's actually not a treaty. It's the Climate Accords, the Paris Agreement. So when Barack Obama signed it, he signed on the dotted line knowing that he did not have Congress's approval to impose these international regulations on the United States through treaty form. But what did he do? Immediately after signing this agreement, the EPA started imposing regulations to line up with the treaty's requirements. And Obama said, oh, no, this is the UN forcing us. We just want to come into compliance. We just want the same thing. But we all know what it was all about. This was the UN imposing environmental regulations on the United States. And sure enough, even though it wasn't binding, Barack Obama sent over a billion dollars overseas to help fund this. It was wealth redistribution. The whole point of the UN Climate Treaty, colloquially treaty, is to take from the rich and give to the poor. It's, it's like some weird Robin Hood thing. So we take, and not really poor though, that what they call developing countries. The problem is developing countries in this regard were India and China, among others. So it was taking money from the United States and giving it to India and China to modernize their energy grids, to modernize their industrial sector. Basically taking our money and giving it to the very countries that have been stealing American jobs for decades. That was the whole purpose of the UN Climate Agreement, the Paris Climate Agreement. Obama signed it without ever putting it through Congress because it was designed not to technically need it. But the spirit of it, I mean, that's the thing. The Article 2, Section 2 of the Constitution, the Treaty Clause, it's very clear. If you want to take international arrangements and impose them on the American people, you need congressional ratification. They violate the spirit, the spirit of that clause by doing things like this. But it's not, we don't stop there. Um, we don't stop there. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, give the, I'll give you my cookies, UN. Fine. Um, the UN ratified the Global Migration Pact that was opposed by the United States. This was basically a UN international agreement to regulate the, the migration of peoples. So the countries that signed this were bound to the UN's rules of who they had to let into their country and who they didn't. The United States never signed it. We refused to sign it, and for good reason, because we want control over our own borders. Had we signed this and had we actually imposed all of these rules on the American people, we would have had even more open borders. It would have been a joke. We might as well have just disbanded Border Patrol because we never would have been able to arrest or deport anyone. So even though we didn't sign on to this, even though we didn't agree to this, what we saw was that by, by the UN seizing this power and creating this coalition of international um, organizations and countries, they were still able to violate our sovereignty. The case in point is we, we've seen over the last few years illegal aliens crossing the U.S.-Mexico border. We have caught them in possession of documents that can be traced back to organizations that receive funding from the UN's Global Migration Pact. And these documents were, in, were teaching the illegal aliens, what they have to say when they reach the border so that they can claim asylum. Basically coaching them to say, I'm in fear for my life. All, all the key words they have to say to qualify for asylum treatment. But we've also found organizations receiving funding from the UN Global Migration Pact, giving out gift cards, basically cash to illegal aliens in Central America so they could afford to reach the U.S.-Mexico border. So even though the U.N. Global, Global Migration Pact couldn't force us to accept these people, 
no questions asked, they were working behind the scenes in Central America to help illegal aliens reach the United States faster. And the third example of this is we've seen, remember when we had the caravans? There is evidence showing that UN Global Migration Pact officials were on the ground helping source buses and other forms of transportation to shuttle the, the caravans from Central American countries through Mexico to the U.S. border. Again, we didn't sign on to this treaty officially, but just the fact that it existed violated our sovereignty because it was acting against our sovereignty, acting against our interests. And uh, you see here, Trump officially ended participation. Biden had tried to sign on, but the pact wasn't completely finished, wasn't completely ratified. Uh, Trump ended it, which is great. But those actors are still working behind the scenes to try and violate our sovereignty. So the worry is when you see something like this WHO agreement, WHO treaty amendment to give WHO officials the power to start imposing their will on countries just because they claim that there's an international health emergency. You look at everything else the UN has done with its treaties, it's very clear what the goal is to violate and chip away and not just our sovereignty, but other countries as well other countries as well. And it's not just us. We're not the only people worried about this. Here's a clip from the European Union Parliament, a very good speech. I don't know the, uh, the, the legislator's name, but let's go ahead and play the speech. It's from the EU Parliament. Hey colleagues, uh, you might not be aware, but the abolition of democracy by the global elites continues. On March 3rd, the EU Commission was authorized by the Council to renegotiate the treaty with the World Health Organization on behalf of the member states. Under the guise of improving global pandemic response, the plan is to allow the WHO to seize executive governance powers of the member states in a case of a pandemic. Granting governing powers to non-elected body is the exact opposite of democratic recourse and takes away any possibility for the people to hold officials accountable. This amounts to no less than disenfranchising the people. We, as elected representatives by the people, for the people, must not allow this to happen. I am imploring you, do what you were elected to do. Look into this and protect the rights of the people. The people you were elected by to act in their best interest. And to all the people in Europe, I would like to say, start acting now. Write to your MEPs. Let them know you will not tolerate to be stripped of your rights to democratic recourse. Let them know that any MEP supporting this or voting for this will not ever get your vote again. So, yeah, I mean, it's not just us. It's not just American conservatives who are worried about this. There are people speaking out against this new power that would be given to the WHO all around the globe. And, uh, yeah, I am drinking Coors Light right now. I know it's a little early, but it is Friday. And I have adopted Johnny Depp's understanding of happy hour which is that isn't happy hour anytime. <laughs> yes, I couldn't grab water, but I did have a beer laying around. So I'm celebrating happy hour a little bit early. Just one, just one beer. So here's PolitiFact. PolitiFact fact-checked Michelle Bachman's appearance on, um, on War Room, on Steve Bannon's War Room, and rated it as false. You can't see it, it's over here. Rated it as false. And I want to show you what they were saying. It said, no, the U.S. is not backing a WHO takeover of national health policies. Again, they are not explaining what will happen after. They say, if your time is short, this is all you need to know, they say. The World Health Organization is revamping the international rules for responding to pandemics. Well, 
international rules would suggest that there's some kind of binding nature to this. It's not international recommendations. It's not international, I don't know, suggestions. These are international rules. So to say that international rules have nothing to do with our sovereignty, well, then they wouldn't be rules, would they? The U.S. proposal would press the WHO to investigate outbreaks, offer help, and recommend certain actions to affected countries. Yes, that is true. Recommend. But again, what they are leaving out is the teeth in this, which would give other member states the power to levy financial and economic sanctions against countries that refuse to allow the WHO in. Any country could reject any recommendation. The worst that would happen is its position would be shared publicly along with any information gleaned about the outbreak. That's not true. The worst situation would be that the rest of the world sanctions them for not allowing these international regulators into their country. Right. It's not voluntary if it's at gunpoint. And, and, and that's what they're trying to claim. They're trying to claim that this wouldn't violate our sovereignty while simultaneously the agreement would, would, would allow the WHO to request entry into a country, request the ability to respond to a international health, health emergency, but doing so again at gunpoint. Uh. They don't want you to know that detail. They leave that out on purpose. And in doing so, they have just enough there to proclaim that it's false to say that you worry about what threat this would pose to American sovereignty. They're saying it's false. Nothing to see here. WHO should absolutely be trusted. You go to Snopes. Okay, here. Okay, here. Add. Uh, Is Biden preparing to give sovereignty of U.S. to WHO? They say false. And they say the context. The claims stem from talks in 2022 among WHO member states, which include the U.S., around amending existing international health regulations. Again, not suggestions, not recommendations, regulations. As of this writing, there was no, while there was no official version of what the WHO was calling a pandemic preparedness accord, the Biden administration had released its own ideas, and they did not include a plan to give the nation's sovereignty to the WHO or offer ways for the WHO to gain new authority to implement lockdowns. So they've declared this false while admitting that the admitting that the final version of the treaty amendment is not finalized, the entire basis for them saying it's false to say this would chip away at the U.S. sovereignty is from the Biden administration not saying they want to chip away at our sovereignty. You see, they don't they can't actually prove that this is false. They fact checked it by claiming that the Biden administration hasn't publicized the plan yet again. Barack Obama did not publicize plans to use the EPA to impose climate regulations that lined up with the Paris Climate Agreement. He didn't advertise that, but he did it, right? ITAR, which is, I believe, the State Department, that's the International Trafficking in Arms Regulation. It governs the import and export of firearms in the United States. The State Department did not say that they were going to impose new regulations on firearm imports and exports, but they did after Obama signed the UN uh, Small Arms Treaty. The fact that they are not admitting everything they plan to do is not proof positive that they have no ulterior motives here. And that's the problem. Fact checkers can get away with this because, I mean, as stupid as he is, Joe Biden is smart enough not to put all of the cards on the table. But that doesn't make this false. Again, we'll go back to the definition of sovereignty. Sovereignty is when you have the power to make decisions be when you have sovereign power and you're beyond the power of others to interfere beyond the power of others to interfere so do we have sovereignty if international health bureaucrats 
can demand that they are allowed in to impose new lockdowns on the United States. And if we disagree, the rest of the world can sanction us, destroy our economy. Do we have sovereignty in that situation? I would say no, because we do not truly have power over our own affairs because an external third party can actually force their way in at gunpoint or we destroy the economy one way or another. It's not sovereignty if the only way to maintain it would result in the destruction of the country. Right? I mean, it's not sovereignty in that point. But that's the whole point here. That's the whole point here. They're trying to muddy the waters. Yes, every, this treaty, like any other treaty, would chip away at our sovereignty, would impose on our sovereignty. That's the very definition of an international agreement. You give to get. There's no such thing as an international agreement where your sovereignty is fully maintained. The whole point of international agreements is agreeing to the demands of other countries or international organizations. So I, I, I scratch my head watching this because I know what the fact checkers are up to. I know why they're claiming this because they are desperate to stop this, to stop the opposition to this treaty. These are the people who still believe the WHO has our best interests at heart. No, the WHO is beholden to China. Old clip, I couldn't find it in time. A little rushing to get on air today. Old clip of that WHO official being interviewed, being asked about Taiwan and refusing to answer and actually pretending that his camera went out because the WHO did not even want to recognize that Taiwan exists because it would piss off China. That's not an impartial international body. So there, that's the other side of this, right? That's the other side of this. You know that China will not allow the WHO to send their people into China. They, they wouldn't even let them do it in the last outbreak. To this day, China will not let people investigate where COVID-19 came from, and I think we know why. So this would not hurt China. It would hurt the United States. Imagine if you're China and you, what you want from this. Yes, you want the WHO to, to have the power to recommend lockdowns in the United States, destroy the American economy. For China, that's great. Oh, the United States doesn't approve, doesn't authorize these lockdowns. Okay, we as China are going to economically sanction the United States, bring them to their knees. I mean, it's just so obvious what this is all about. And yet the, the fact checkers refuse to even acknowledge it because they're in on it. They want this to go a certain way. Well, that's it. I, I got through everything actually really quickly today. I don't have too much more left to go over. If you like the podcast, make sure you subscribe. I guess we'll end a little early today because this is a Friday. If you like the podcast, make sure you subscribe on Rumble. We're also, the audio edition, great, great to subscribe to the audio edition. Even if you watch it live, also subscribe to one of the audio channels. That way, if you're out and about, if you're driving, you can listen without having to use too much of your data plan. Um, it's available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Podbean, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. All those links are in the description. Check it out. Also, got to mention, I do have my book out. I'm mentioning every show, uh, Conservative's Guide to Winning Every Gun Control Argument. That's available at Amazon and Barnes & Noble now. I put my heart and soul into this. It is an exhaustive text, 446 pages, over 480 citations, footnotes, um, going through all of the things you need to know to win pretty much every gun control argument that there is. So one person left a review that they can't wait until the holidays so they can use what they learn here to argue with their family members at Thanksgiving or Christmas. Yes, that is what this is for. <laughs> so pick up the book if you haven't already. Again, on Amazon, 
Barnes & Noble link is in the description. Also, gonna make a couple announcements. I am on Truth Social. So you can find me on Truth Social now, Max McGuire. I'm on Truth Social. Follow me over there. I'm posting. I do have my Telegram account, um, at Max J. McGuire. So follow me there. And I'm gonna announce I am on TikTok. I am building a TikTok account. Now, what, Max, why do you want TikTok? I enjoy TikTok because it lets you respond to people. So you can do what's called a stitch. You can take someone first, take five seconds of their video and then spend three minutes responding to it. So I've been finding leftist liberals and responding to them, just picking them apart. I enjoy it. So if you want to see content like that, follow me on TikTok at Max J. McGuire is where you can find me there. That's it. Short episode today. Have a great Friday, everyone. Remember, happy hour is anytime, as Johnny Depp says. So <laughs> until next time, remember, the fight to take back our country is not over yet. But the only way we win is if we all stamp and fight together. Have a great weekend, everyone. See you Monday.